You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Uh, Well, I love Christmas, don't you? Uh, And we are in the second part of a Christmas series, and the Christmas uh, series is titled, So This is Christmas, because we're prone to get our eyes on the wrong things, right? Uh, This is Christmas, and we're going to be looking at uh, what Christmas is all about today. Uh, We're uh, looking at uh, God Becomes a Man from Hebrews chapter 1. So if you need a Bible, uh, raise your hands. The ushers in the aisles, they would love to give you one. And uh, uh, looking at God becoming a man. Uh, Hebrews is in the back of your Bible. And so if you uh, would find that, so when we turn there, you'll be ready. Put a bookmark in there. Um, But I love Christmas. One of my favorite things about Christmas are toys. Uh, I, my just fondest memories when my kids were little, I used to love getting Nerf guns and all the different toys. And, uh, uh, I still am a kid at heart. I love the toys. Here's a cool toy, by the way. Um, have you seen these? This is dangerous, by the way. I hope I don't decapitate anybody. Uh, let's see if I can do this. Isn't that cool? That went well. Let's see if I can mess it up. Uh, Anyway, love toys. Uh, Toys make Christmas so much fun. My son got me that for uh, a couple weeks ago, and I'm already playing with it. Uh, But Christmas is wonderful for toys. Christmas is wonderful for kids. A time for families together, a time for friends to drop in, a time for co-workers to pause and then to embrace and to appreciate each other, to come alongside and just say, hey, man, I appreciate you. you know, th- I love Christmas for all of those things. Uh, a time to share well wishes with neighbors and that kind of things and to give gifts to each other. And Christmas is a great tradition. But if Christmas is just a holiday tradition, just a holiday celebration, just a holiday tradition like all the others, whether that be Thanksgiving or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or whatever, then Christmas really is not that special. It's just another holiday and just another tradition. And many see it that way. Many view Christmas as, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a holiday. It's a, um, but God has something far more for us. What if Christmas was something far more than, than that? Something far more than just a holiday or just a tradition. What if Christmas was God reaching out to us? How amazing would that be if Christmas was actually God reaching out to us? What if Christmas was God saying, hey, you are so valuable to me. You are important to me. What if Christmas was God saying to us individually, you are 
worth something to me. You are my treasure. You are, I created you on purpose and I want to be close to you. What if Christmas was God showing us that he wants to be involved in our life? That he wants to save us from all the hardships that we endure. It's daunting going through the world, isn't it? We make mistakes. We beat ourselves up. We blow it and we know it. And we feel bad. We know we fall short. And what if Christmas was God coming to us and saying, Hey, I know, I know. And I can heal. And I can forgive. I know the areas that you fall short. I know the sins that you have committed. And my mercy is new morning by morning. And I want to forgive you and cleanse you of your unrighteousness. What if Christmas was God saying, I want to cleanse you and save you from all your faults, from all your failures. I care for you. What if Christmas was God saying, I want to build you into something that you could never be on your own without me? What if Christmas was God saying, not only do I have plans for you now to build you into something that you could never be without me, but I'm doing a work even far greater than that. I am preparing a future for you. I am preparing an eternity for you. I am preparing a kingdom for you that I want you to take a leadership role in and be very active in. And I am building in you now the character traits to be a leader in that kingdom. Not only for this age, but also in the ages and in the millennia and in the eternity to come. And may I present something to you? That's exactly what Christmas is all about. And if we understood this, well, we would understand how significant Christmas is. And suddenly Christmas would be so much more than little toys and little stocking stuffers. Christmas would be more than traditions and uh, friends and family. Christmas would be us responding personally To this God who has so much prepared for us. And we would be responding in awe and adoration and in worship. And that's what Christmas is all about. Uh, it is uh, it is our response into worship and to praise and to thank. Uh, that's the true meaning of Christmas. And I want to bring us to that point this morning. Uh, the purpose of Christmas is to worship God for his great love for us. To be cognizant of it and to be moved with gratitude and awe and wonder and to just say, Lord, I want to worship you with my life. That is the purpose of Christmas. And I want to ask you this morning just an application question. How's it going for you there? Have you got caught up in the busyness, in the decorations? In the hustle and bustle to get everything done on the, get all the presents and everything on the shelves that are empty because the ports are clogged and, (laughs) and you're worried about this and you're worried about Omicron and you're worried about, you know, how's it going for you at this Christmas season? 
that a psychologist named the new variant Omicron. Uh, hey, may we rest. We have a God who's on the throne. He holds everything in control. Nothing is outside of his scope. And this God is madly in love with you. He's gone through great lengths to display his love. And Christmas is the time where we worship him in our response. That's our response at Christmas. And so may we embrace it. You are important to God. You are loved by God. You are so loved by God that he sent Jesus into the world to be the propitiation for our sins. I'm going to use that word a few times. Uh, I want you to say it with me, if you will. Propitiation. Say that with me. Propitiation. Propitiation, a word we don't use very much. What does it mean? Propitiation. Uh, it's, a, it's an action. Uh, it's a verb. It's an act of actually turning us from a position of wrath to a position of favor. Uh, to give a modern day example, let's say that I owed the bank $20,000 for my car and I'm now four or five months late on payments. Uh, the bank is mad at me. I'm in trouble. I have failed. And they are painfully aware of my failure and they're making me painfully aware of my failure. They're calling all the time. They're sending letters. And now I have a creditor at my door knocking on my door. There's a tow truck. And now I have a rich uncle. And my rich uncle comes along and says, hey, what's going on? What's the tow truck? What's the credit? Well, I owe 20 grand. I'm in trouble. I'm four months late. I'm six months late, whatever. Uh, hey. I can help you. And he goes down to the bank, and he not only takes care of the $20,000 payment, but he puts an extra $5,000 on there for the banker for his trouble. And what happens to me and my relationship with the banker now? Friend, welcome to the bank. We're glad you're here. No more calls, no more hassles. That is propitiation. And that is the work that Jesus has done for us. Uh, this is what John tells us. Take a look at this. 1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 9 and 10. Let me hear you read this, church. The love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Notice the words I underline there on that, on that slide. Uh, the love of God was manifested towards us. Or in other words, the love of God was revealed to us. It was? How? Well, this is how. That God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might, what? Live. That we might live. We read that word and we do not grasp the meaning. Oh, I'm already alive. Well, you're only alive because he created you, for one thing. But secondly, you're a dead man walking. You've got creditors at the door. And the price of your debt is hell. It is eternal separation from God. 
and you have a creditor at your door knocking at your door and there is no way you can ever pay the payment because the payment requires absolute perfection, which you and I just don't have. And so God's love was manifest towards us and that he sent his son into the world. Next slide. And look what he says. Read with me. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He did not send his son to make the propitiation. He sent his son to be the propitiation. He was the one who paid the debt that we could never pay. He was the one who restored us from a position of wrath and judgment and a fine that we could never pay into a position of favor and blessing and son or daughtership. Uh, he was the one who did that. And Christmas is our responding to his great love for us to do that. That's what Christmas is all about. Jesus' blood propitiated or satisfied God's demand for justice. God's demand for justice for the sins that we commit, committed. So that God's holiness was not compromised. God has to be just. There's a lot of talk in the nation right now about forgiving student loans. Have you heard this? Tell me, how do you do that? How do we just forgive student loans? We can't. Here's why. Because it would be unjust. You see, justice requires that payment is made. If you have a world where justice isn't required, you have a world of chaos. You have a kingdom of chaos. Say, for example, uh, I have my Starbucks cup in my hand, and I roll down the window, and I throw it out the window as I'm driving down the street because I don't want this trash in my car. Now I get pulled over, and the cop says, hey, what are you doing? I said, well, I didn't want the trash in my car. Well, now you've made the trash what? Someone else's problem. Now the trash is in my front yard. And if the kingdom is going to be just, there has to be a payment for the sin. So I get hit with a $350 littering ticket. And that'll hire several people to pick up trash. And there's some kind of justice in that system. My point is simply, a kingdom has to be just or it's chaos. If we just forgive student debt, who's going to pay the price? The university? Are they going to work for free? The teachers? Are they going to work for free? All of us, the taxpayers, are we going to pay your education? I don't think so. Uh, it would be a messed up situation. And so God, in order to be just, the kingdom has to have propitiation for sin. Does that make sense? And Jesus came to be that propitiation. And this verse tells us that God did not send Jesus into the world to be a good teacher. 
or to be a good humanitarian or to just love everybody. No, 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 no. God sent his son into the world for one purpose and one purpose only, to be the propitiation for our sin, which must be dealt with. I know that we all don't think our sin is that big of a deal, but we cannot come to a holy God with our sin. And I want you to know this, God will not allow that sin to come into his heaven. Amen? Amen. Or it wouldn't be heaven. And so there has to be this propitiation. And so the purpose of Christmas is to worship God for his great love for us. That's the purpose of it. Jesus came to be the propitiation for our sin, and that propitiation was a human sacrifice. And now this leads me to another problem. Because I like a God who wants to give propitiation for my sin. But human sacrifice? That seems vile. That seems abhorrent. Human sacrifice for my sin? That seems repulsive. And if human sacrifice is the meaning of Christmas then I would say, give me Hanukkah. I don't know that I want to know a God who requires a human sacrifice. And so uh, some of you are looking at me like, did he go off the deep end? Bear with me, (laughs) bear with me. To truly understand God's provision for the propitiation, we have to understand who Jesus is and who God is. And what his plan for redemption is. He is not a God of human sacrifice. As a matter of fact, human sacrifice was strictly forbid in the scripture. And yet Jesus went to the cross. So how in the heck does this work? And to answer that question, we have the book of Hebrews chapter 1. Are you tracking with me? Hebrews chapter 1. I hope you had your spot there. Because uh, I'm not, I'm not going to wait for you. No. Uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Give me a big amen if you're there. Amen. Read the first word. God. Read it as one thundering voice. God. 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 Who at various times and in various ways. Read the next word spoke the person God the verb spoke God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by his what prophets yes God has been speaking to us his creation from the beginning of time. And he has done it in various ways. He has spoken to us through creation. And through creation we see, wow, God is powerful. God is an amazing designer. God is an incredible artist. But he has spoken to us through prophets to reveal his person. 
And from the beginning of time, God has been speaking through prophets. As a matter of fact, the first prophet that we know of in the Bible, anybody know who it was? It was Enoch. Enoch was only the seventh descendant from Adam. At a time when there was a very few people on the earth, God sent a prophet, Enoch. Guess what Enoch prophesied about? Guess what God used him to speak to the people about? The second coming of Jesus Christ. Wow, crazy. Enoch spoke, the Lord comes with myriads of his saints to rule and to reign on the earth. Book of Jude tells us what Enoch spoke. And from Enoch all the way through the very last prophet in the Bible. Who was the last prophet in the Bible? John the Baptist. The very last prophet in the Bible also speaking about this same Messiah. Only he's speaking about his first coming. There's one coming who's greater than I am. I'm not even worthy of unloosing his sandal. I baptize you merely with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. All of the prophets speaking to God's people about the nature of God. What did they speak? Well, here's what they spoke. That you're to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And they spoke that you have a problem. It's called sin. And it's caused you to be in a broken relationship with God. Separated from God. But there's good news. There's a Messiah. He's coming. And he's going to breach that separation. And he's going to restore the relationship with God. And so God, who in various ways and at various times, from the beginning of time, has spoken to us through the prophets, has in these, the last days, Hebrews tells us, spoken to us how? Let's take a look. Verse 2, has in these, the last days, spoken to us how? By a son. Whom he has appointed heir of all things. And whom through also he made, what? The worlds. What's that? This son, this Messiah that has spoken to us in the last days. He is the one who made the universe. He's the one who made the worlds. And look at this, verse 3. Who, that son, being the brightness of his glory, the brightness of God's glory, and the express image of his person. The express image of God's person. This son of God, this Messiah, is how God is speaking to us now, no longer through prophets, and he is the creator of the universe. And he is the express image of God's person. Amazing to consider. Jesus teaching the disciples about the Father. And Thomas would yell out, Jesus, just show us the Father and it will be sufficient for us. 
And Jesus says, Thomas, are you kidding me? Have I been so long with you and you don't understand? Thomas, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He is the express image of God. He is the creator of the universe. And look what else it says about him, verse 3. He's the express image of his person, God's person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. What is that? Yes, the universe in its finely designed intricacy of gravitational pools and dark matter and black holes and things that we can't even begin to understand how the nucleus of an atom keeps, I mean, all things that are from the micro, under the smallest microscope to the biggest telescope, the mysteries of God, and he holds it all together. Tell me, what keeps this earth spinning on its axis at an angle of, what is it, 30 Three and a third, I don't forget what it is, uh, on an axis, and it spins exactly 24 hours every single day in a few seconds, tiny seconds, just precise without ever changing. How does that happen? How does it orbit around the sun in exactly 365 point through whatever it is, days, every single year, and it never changes, it never slows down, it never speeds up. Its intricacy is so perfect that you can wind it backwards and find out where the stars were on any given night through the entire history of Earth. How do you explain that? Well, the Bible says here that Jesus, this creator, this Messiah, that he is upholding all things by the word of his power. And when he, verse 3, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Wow, how incredible. Did you see? Did you hear? When he single-handedly, all by himself, took care of all the sin in the world. Single-handedly became the propitiation for all the sin in the world. He then ascended back to the throne of God where he is ruling and reigning. This is our Jesus. He is amazing. Verse 4. Verse 4 starts off with the words, having become, which is really a bad translation. It should say, this shows that he, Jesus, is so much better than the angels. As he has, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they, than the angels. For to which of the angels did he, God, ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Which angel did he ever say that to? None. None. 
And here the author of Hebrews quotes from Psalm 2, you are my son, today I have begotten you, a Psalm of David, a messianic prophecy about the second coming of Jesus Christ when he comes in power and glory to destroy all the nations that are against him to rule and to reign and to set up his kingdom. Why do the nations rage and and imagine such a vain plot against God? The Lord laughs and will hold them in derision. You could read Psalm 2 later. But he quotes from that psalm and he says, Which of the angels did God ever say, You are the one that I'm going to bring and set up my kingdom and I called you my son? And the answer, none. Look at the next one. He quotes from 2 Samuel chapter 7. And which of the angels did he say, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son? None. None. Never said that to an angel. And again, the significance of that verse right there is, is radical. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a quote from the Davidic covenant, the covenant that God made with David, that the Messiah was going to rule and reign from his kingdom. The lineage of David will be ruling and reigning. To which of the angels did God ever say that would happen to? None. Uh, Verse 6. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let the angels of God worship him. Uh, To which of the angels did God ever say angels worship each other? None. Never happen. The moment they do that, they become fallen angels. They leave their estate. They sin. And they're, they're, no, they're now demons. So uh, never. But to the angels, he says, yes, worship him. Worship him. He's, he's God. On the night that the angels revealed to the shepherds that the Messiah was going to be born, all of the angels broke out in worship and worshipped the Messiah in song. Verse 6, but when he brings the firstborn in the world, he he says, let the angels of God worship him. Uh, But to the angels, verse 7, God says, uh, who makes his angels? And his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than all your companions. What's all that? What's all that saying? Here's what it's saying. It's saying, listen, to which of the angels did God ever say, you're going to rule on the throne forever and you're going to be the anointed one? None. They are all ministering servants, angels are, sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation. Uh, Did you know that that's angels' jobs? Angels' jobs are on a ministry assignment to minister to who? to us. They're working behind the scenes, doing things that are allowing your life to continue that somehow got your butt in that chair today. Uh, that was a, There's a divine work behind all of that. And angels are ministering servants sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation. But the son is the king. A scepter of righteousness will always be in his hand and he will rule and reign forever, it says. There's no end to his kingdom. Your throne, O God, verse 8, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, right? Uh, Verse 10, 
And to the son, he says, you, Lord, Yahweh, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish. What will? The foundations of the earth and the heavens will perish. But you will remain. They will all grow old like a garment and like a cloak, like a jacket. You will fold them up and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not fail. What's all that? Here's what God is saying. This universe that I created, it's just a playing field. And it's like an old cloth. I'm going to fold it up and I'm going to put it away and I'm going to be done with it. I created it for one reason. I created it to put man on it. And allow him to see the glory of his creator. A universe so big that we don't even know where it ends. A universe so beautiful that it boggles the mind. The earth, one of the only planets that has a clear atmosphere that we could even see all of these things. All the other planets have a, a closed atmosphere. We have a clear atmosphere by God's design so we could understand his glory. And God puts us on this planet and he says, I'm going to have, I'm going to work in your life so that you begin to think about me and ponder me. And you're going to have to make a choice. Do you want to be in relationship with this God who is pursuing you and loving you? That is the only purpose of this little ball that we spin on. And when that work is done, he folds it up like a garment. It's interesting, by the way, Einstein found this to be a true, he called it the theory of relativity, where earth, space, and time all had to come into existence at the exact same time. You can't have space... Excuse me, you can't have matter without earth, or without space. And you can't have time without uh, uh, the, 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 you know, the, the sun going, the earth going around the sun. And all of these things had to come into existence at the same time. This earth, space, and, uh, and matter, excuse me, earth, space, and time all had to come into existence at the same time in order for any of them to exist. Uh, and, and all of it is going to be folded up like a garment. And it'll be recreated. Look what it says. Like a cloak, like an old, like an old worn out shirt, you will fold them up and they will be changed. But you are the same. Your years will not fail. You will be ruling and reigning in all the eternity to come. Verse 13. To which of the angels has God ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies the footstool? your footstool. None. None. And yet God is working in this world and the end will come when he makes all the enemies his footstool and he comes and rules and reigns as the king. Verse 14, I already quoted, but I'll read it again. Are they, speaking of angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation, to you and to me. Yeah, none of them will rule. None of the angels will rule. None of the angels are, will have dominion like that. Uh, they are just ministering to you, and you will actually rule over the angels in the ages to come. Uh, chapter 2, therefore, we must give 
the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we what? Drift away. Pay attention to this Messiah that we worship and who he is and what he is and what Christmas is all about, lest we drift away into stocking stuffers and toys and decorations. Lest we drift away into meaningless busyness because we're not taking time to ponder and to consider all that God has established for us. The entire thesis of Hebrews chapter 1 that we just read is simply this. Jesus is the omnipotent, eternal God who will reign forever. That is the purpose of Hebrews chapter 1. That is the thesis. He is the eternal God who will reign forever. This baby in a manger is the eternal omnipotent God who will reign forever. This boy who obeyed his parents... This young man who got a job as a stonemason or as a carpenter. This man that walked the earth and got tired and got hungry and got cold is the omnipotent creator of the universe who will reign forever. That is amazing. That is amazing. And it gives me a far greater understanding to this propitiation that God has made for us. You see, if God required a human sacrifice, I would find that repulsive. But God would never ask another human to be a human sacrifice to purchase our redemption. And so God himself became the propitiating sacrifice to purchase our salvation. And that moves from repulsive to more than awe-inspiring. Oh my goodness. God, the lengths that you would go to bring me back to yourself, to take all of my wretched sin that weighs so heavy on me, all of my failure that I'm so constantly aware of, and to wash me all from it by your propitiating act, you becoming a man on a cross on my behalf beyond comprehension. God himself became the propitiating sacrifice for our salvation the point that God would never ask for a human sacrifice was revealed in Leviticus. And it was also revealed in Abraham and Isaac. Abraham was a godly man called by God, the father of the faith. God called him all in his grace. And Abraham uh, lived a life of good faith. But he never had any children. God said, Abraham, I'm going to make a nation out of you. 
I'm going to make you the one that I bring the nation Israel from. Israel will be from you, Abraham. The people governed by God. That's what Israel means, governed by God. They will be from your lineage. I'm going to draw a, a people to myself through you. Great. When do we get started? Well, it'll come through your lineage. And Abraham waits and he waits and he waits. And no children, no children, no children. Abraham now gets 99 years old. Sarah is way past menopause by decades. Abraham hasn't seen a good night in a long time. And God says, now you will conceive. Why? Why? Here's why. It's a supernatural conception. And Abraham impregnates his wife. They've been married a kajillion years and never had any children. And now she has a child. And that child, his name is Isaac. A, a, a divinely blessed birth. A picture of who? A picture of the Messiah to come. The one who will gather the real Israel to himself. God's people. Supernatural birth. God speaking in various ways at various times through the prophet Abraham. Abraham then does have this child to promise. And they're elated. The child grows. He becomes 30 years of age. And God tells him, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son on the mountain that I will show you. Abraham is abhorred. You are against human sacrifice. Sacrifice your son on the mountain that I will show you. So the Bible says Abraham goes on a three-day journey to the mountain that God shows him. The mountain, Mount Moriah, happens to be the exact same place where Jesus was crucified. And from the day Abraham got the, the command to sacrifice his son, in the father's eyes, the son was as good as dead. He's going on this trip for three days. The son's dead in his mind. He goes up the mountain. And Isaac, a 30-year-old man, goes willingly with his father. And he says, Father, I see the wood for the sacrifice. I see the knife for the sacrifice. But where is the sacrifice? Where is the lamb? And Abraham speaks prophetically. Do you remember what he says? God will provide himself the lamb. That is who Jesus is. God himself being the sacrifice. And Abraham goes up there to offer his son. And God says, no, no, no. Not a chance. The imagery is now over. And he doesn't kill his son. God abhors human sacrifice. But 2,000 years later, there was another father with another son, and he did not withhold on that same exact mountain that son from the sacrifice. That Jesus became the propitiating sacrifice for our sin. And this is what Christmas is all about. God will provide himself the lamb for the sacrifice. What's astonishing is is God did not become a man for a couple years. A man's soul lives forever, forever. Your soul will live forever, either with God or apart from God, but your soul will not end. Souls are eternal. 
And so when God became a man, he became a man forever. Which makes the cost of what he accomplished for us even that much more mind-boggling. God is a man. In John, excuse me, in Revelation chapter 5, in chapter 4 of Revelation, John is raptured up to the throne room of God. And there in heaven, he's excited. He can't wait to see God on the throne. And he's taken into the throne room. And he sees God for the first time in Revelation chapter 5. And he says, and I looked and behold, there upon the throne, what? A lamb as if it had been slain. He sees Jesus with the wounds in his hand. And he says, I know you and you know me. I am your servant, Lord. Amazing. Just amazing. And so I want to close as we get ready to move into our baptism with a couple just uh, uh, quick points to, for us to hold on to. May we be in awe of what Jesus did for us uh, at Christmas. May we remember what Christmas is all about. God became a man for the express purpose of saving us from hell, from eternal separation from God. There was no other way. You cannot just forgive student debt. Someone has to pay the teacher. And I'm not making a political statement. I'm simply saying this was Jesus' chief purpose to make propitiation so that we do not go to hell but we're able to be in the presence of God both now and in the ages to come secondly God became a man to pay the price for our sins there is a price payment had to be made the wages of sin is what death the price of sin is death and Jesus experienced spiritual death on our behalf so that we will never have to experience it. We will be absent from the body and present with the Lord. I will take my last breath here and my best breath there and be, oh my gosh, my Savior, my Creator, my King. And I long for the day. God became a man to pay for the price of our sins. And thirdly, God became a man to give us eternal life with God as a free gift. Because I could never earn it. You could never earn it. It requires absolute perfection. It requires perfect holiness. I don't have enough money in my account to ever be perfect. I am sinned and flawed and I fall short every single day. And uh, Jesus is the only one. He's the only uncle who could pay that bill, if you will to our previous analogy. And uh, to accomplish all of this, God himself had to subject himself to human life. The exact same human life, the exact same human condition that we face. He suffered pain. He suffered starvation. He suffered the, the loss of a loved one. Uh, he lost his father, his, his stepdad, when he was very young. Uh, he knew the pain of losing a loved one. He submitted himself to the authority and the folly of bad leaders. He was betrayed. He was rejected. He was used and abused. He was uh, put, you know, denied by his best friends. Uh, he, he was wrongly accused. Uh, he did all of it as a man. He was 100% man and he was 100% God. 
He lived his life as a regular human. I want you to consider this. He had omnipotent power. It never left him. He had omnipotent power. And yet he never used it for his own benefit. He lived his life every day as a man. Had he used his power ever for his own benefit, he would not be our kinsman redeemer. He would not be able to be the propitiation for our sin. So he never used his power. Uh, Doing so would have disqualified him uh, as our redeemer. And which is interesting to ponder and consider. It's one thing to face cruelty and hardship because you have no choice in the matter. It's another thing to face cruelty and hardship and you have the power not to and you choose to do it anyway. That's just incredible. I remember back when I had the Yamaha dealership. I used to have a a Yamaha dealership in Poway. And uh, at 2 in the morning, I got a phone call. Hey, your place is being broken into. I drive. I lived in Encinitas. I drive all the way out to Poway. I get out there, and I see that they drove a truck through the front glass windows and through the front doors and just caved in the whole facade of my building, the front of the building, and did a smashing grab. I was wronged. I was abused. I was wrongfully treated. I was stolen from. And if I had the power (laughs) to make that right, I would have wrung those scrawny little necks out for everything I could. But I didn't have the power. I took all that wrong because I had no choice. Jesus had complete choice, and yet he never used any of his power for his own well-being. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, did all of these things for us. Why? Because you are that valuable to him. You are that important to him. You are that meaningful to him. You are that loved by him, and this is Christmas. May we worship accordingly. And dads, can I speak to you for a moment? May we teach our children, spiritual leaders, the true meaning of Christmas. And may we lead our families well with the true meaning of Christmas. Amen? And when you are told at the store, happy holidays, may we come back and say, Merry Christmas. Ah. And may we never write Merry Xmas. May we not X out Christ of Christmas. May we be go out of our way to say, hey, Merry Christmas. Jesus came to the world for you. I hope you have a good day. Be the salt. Be the light of the world. It's time for us to stand in this world of darkness. And if we do, God's work, oh, It'll expand and build the kingdom. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.